This is Steve Weinberger, CEO of the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation. We're recording our Young Lions Jazz Master virtual session series for, the, for educational purposes for the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation. We appreciate you participating. Today's educators are La Lucha, John O'Leary, Alejandro Arenas, and Mark Feynman. They're gonna get into a topic with a rhythm section focus today. We appreciate all the participants keeping their microphones muted uh, for the courtesy of others participating in the class. But if you do have specific questions, please feel free to use the chat feature on Zoom or to use the raise your hand feature on Zoom. And I'll try to monitor that. And if the musicians have time uh, toward the end of their session, we can take some questions and get into that. We hope you enjoyed today's session. All of the upcoming sessions are listed at www.clearwaterjazz.com education with links to join the Zoom sessions. And today's musicians and educators are La Lucha. They're a Tampa Bay-based trio. Their music ventures into a wide variety of musical styles and offers a fun mix of genres under the jazz umbrella. They have received countless accolades and have extensive national and international performance experience including several plays at the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Music Festival. If you'd like to learn more about La Lucha, you can visit their website at www.laluchamusic.com for more information about the band, getting in touch with them, or about their new album. So without further ado, um, I'm gonna turn it over to La Lucha, and I'd like to also uh, lastly give a shout out to our many sponsors and partners who help expand the reach of Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation education and outreach, including our wonderful friends at the Al Downing Tampa Bay Jazz Association. Take it away, guys. All Thank right. You. All right. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's really a pleasure to be here. Thank you to Steve and the foundation for having us and doing these sessions. And we're happy that you're joining us. So uh, we're going to talk about all things rhythm section and we're going to give you the bite size and we're going to move quick we're going to talk a lot we're going to talk fast and if you have questions throughout you can put them in the chat and if you have questions afterwards you can reach out to us and we'll give you our email address as well uh, so uh, first of all we want to say that this is not just a class for only rhythm section players if you are a non-rhythm section musician, meaning you play the saxophone, or you are a singer, or you play the bassoon, or whatever other instrument than a rhythm section, this is perfect for you as well. So, uh, yes. and we're gonna kind of go back and forth through the three of us. Yes, it's not just for musicians, drummers are welcome as well. Wow. <laughs> Alrighty, we're gonna mute John, and Alejandro and I will have this conversation. <laughs> no. Um, and if you don't know, if you haven't seen La Lucha Live or any of our workshops, we like to have a good time and we like to have fun. So, um, Al, do you want to give a kind of a brief overview of what we're going to try to, uh, what we're going to hit today? Yeah. So basically we, you know, we have a lot of, of stuff that we can cover, uh, not, not enough time to cover as much as we'd like to use because there's, you know, each, each thing is, can get so in debt. Uh, but basically, we wanted to talk a little bit about the history of the rhythm section, how it kind of became uh, what it is, you know. And we we kind of had a, an idea of a lot of these subjects kind of overlap. You know, we didn't want to make this just a historical perspective on things. But, you know, obviously, with jazz or any style, really, it's very important to be able to know where things come from, you know. 
like you may recognize some of the names of some some of the newer musicians in the scene, but all of those people came came from studying um, the past masters, if you will, of the instrument and the pioneers and people that became, you know, that made this music what it is. So it's very important to be able to go back and study those people. So for us, um, let's see, we wanted to kind of uh, send a PDF and I think we didn't really post it in the end, but we can, we, we wanted to reference a couple of rhythm sections that were very important in the development of music, you know, um, one of them being the Count Basie rhythm section, um, because it's kind of it's the origin of, of the of the swing beat, if you will. I mean, things swung before that, and there was a lot of stuff before that, but that was kind of the rhythm section that kind of started putting it all together in the way that we know it today. So walking bass lines, you know, Walter Page. Um, and, you know, we, we didn't, you know, it's three of us. There's a guitar, very important part of that rhythm section. That was a guitar, Freddie Green, of course. Uh, Papa Joe Jones on I drums. I, and, I don't think they can see me. Oh, just a reminder, if uh, if you can mute your microphone, that would be fantastic. Thank you so much. So, yeah, so there's, there's a lot of people to cover and all of specific stuff. You know, we could do just one on that rhythm section um, specifically. But we uh, thought maybe we could start um, asking each other some questions about how to, how to put it all together. So, for example, John, what do you see uh, the piano? Uh, what's the role of the piano in the rhythm section? Well, the piano, I think, was one of the first instruments that was used to accompany other musicians, right? So singers and instrumentalists, and there wasn't always an orchestra or uh, a string quartet available to accompany. And so the piano quickly became uh, an instrument that was used to accompany. And so then when jazz came along, the piano was still used to accompany uh, but, and, you know, the piano has, obviously, it can play chords, it can play notes, but it can also play in time. You can have those notes in a rhythm. Yes. So then, John, now, go ahead. You mentioned something. I just want to jump in. You said it can play time. So maybe before anything, let's, let's, let's answer the the, the biggest question of all, who is responsible for time in the rhythm section? Me. <laughs> um, Alejandro, no. are you responsible for time in the rhythm section? Yes, I am. And Mark, I'm are you responsible, responsible for time? <laughs> Absolutely. Everybody is responsible <laughs> for time in the rhythm section. Do not lean on anybody else except everybody and yourself. Everybody is responsible for time. You need to play with good time and good feel um, and good feel most of all uh, do not lay that do not lean on the drummer for that do not yell at the pianos for that do not yell at the trumpet section or the saxophone section everybody's responsible for time and we'll dive into it a little bit later but we're going to briefly talk about time and what, what that really means and and another thing that we wanted to add to that which may seem contradictory to what mark said but there's no absolutes in music you know, there's a every every player is different, every musician is different, every everybody's background is different in terms of how they approach the music and all that stuff. That's the beauty of music. That once you get on a on a bandstand, you can have three people from three different parts of the world, and somehow they're able to play music together, and still hate each other, like John, Mark, and I. 
Yeah. Wait, what? Uh, no. No, we love each other. But but no, really that together at home, yeah. No, but that really is a is a, a a very you know it is a language you know not to uh, use the cliche but music is a language and it's very important to yeah. recognize that 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 is a way that you can um, speak across to each other in in a common language uh, of music. So, um, and I you know the, yeah really yeah go quick. ahead. So you know we have uh, a little historical overview of different musicians. For for example, the role of the piano. Uh, during the swing era, it was Count Basie who had a really important pianistic style. Um, and then later on, it was more like Oscar Peterson and Whitney Kelly. And they had a certain style of, of uh, comping, and, uh, which means accompanying, of accompanying within the rhythm section and with uh, horn players. And then was like, um, we had Bill Evans and Herbie Hancock, and little by little, the music had uh, cha was changing with the styles of the different uh, musicians. And so, you know, Count Basie would play very little uh, or he would play in spots where the band wasn't playing. And he would play like in the high register, these weird like drop two voicings, you know. And so then that was nothing what like Bill Evans would accompany or the way that he would include. So uh, and, going and back, one, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and one thing that I was going to say uh, that I think a parallel evolution of that comes from the bass and the drums. You know, I'll, I'll talk specifically from the bass perspective because obviously rhythm sections Perfect. played together and they gave each other the space or they gave each other inspiration. So, so for example, in that uh, Count Basie thing, you know, you had before that, before Count Basie, um, you know, you had the bass lines were playing mostly kind of roots and fifths, right? The tuba. Yeah, more of that type of stuff. Then, you know, Walter Page came along and started playing walking bass lines, you know, and they were more, they weren't, you know, that he was starting to move a little bit more, repeating some notes, stuff like that. Um, and then little by little, people started freeing it up, specifically uh, the arrival of Jimmy Blanton, uh, who played with Duke Ellington early on. Uh, he was only on the scene for a few years, but he really revolutionized the way the bass was played because uh, he was the first bass player to really have the facility to play like a horn player. So all of a sudden, his bass lines were more sophisticated. Uh, his uh, harmonic approach was more sophisticated, which freed the rest of the band to do different things. Now the piano player didn't have to rely so much on the left hand. Um, that came later to people like Ray Brown, who, who took the Jimmy Blanton approach a step further. And then you mentioned Bill Evans, uh, who had a virtuoso like Scott Lafaro on bass, who really kind of abandoned the role of the traditional bass and started being much more interactive. And I think that affected the drums as well. So all this evolution was hand in hand uh, between the instruments. So Mark can talk a little bit about how that affected the drummers. Yeah, so I'll kind of give like a brief overview slash the role of the drums. The role of the drums really- Hey, hey Mark, this is Steve Weinberger. Sorry to interrupt. We're getting some messages okay. that your microphone's still a bit hard to hear or a little bit low. I know you've tried okay. to adjust it. I can turn it up. Maybe speak a little louder. All right, is this a lot better? That's it, there you go. Okay. So uh, the 
roll. Getting a, I'm getting a nice ringtone. That's a good. <laughs> I don't know where that's coming from, but it's it's there. Um, so the overview of the drums. The drums was uh, and still is a marching instrument. There were multiple humans playing this. You needed somebody to play each one of these things. And I don't have a bass drum with me, but there was a bass drum player. And at one point, somebody, probably in New Orleans, put the drum set together and arranged it in a contraption, which became a trap set. And they played it by themselves. And it probably didn't sound great because uh, musicians, percussionists were not as coordinated to play a kit like that. And so it progressed over time. Uh, musicians like Warren Baby Dodds, they learned how to play uh, rhythms that were popular of the time, mainly on just w one instrument, maybe the, the snare drum. And over time, the instrument developed to being able to um, raise the hi-hat. The hi-hat was actually on the ground. That's why it's called sock cymbal. Uh, or it was called a low boy, and then a drummer named Papa Joe Jones raised it up and higher, and they call it the hi-hat. And uh, his nickname was Mr. Hi-hat, and time was kept on two and four on the hi-hat. You could also play on it. And at that time, the ride cymbal at, you know, early 1900s was not even being played as a timekeeper or a rhythm time. It was just being crashed as, a, as an accessory. And drummers like Gene Krupa and Papa Joe Jones, they uh, were influential in creating kind of the modern drum set and companies like Gretsch and Ludwig, they were started to make more instruments or more drums tunable um, and raising up cymbals, creating different types of hi-hats and stands to make that happen. And the role of the drummer changed quite a bit during that uh, bebop era. Um, there was some progression before that, but in the bebop era, musicians like um, Max Roach, for instance, um, he, he was uh, sort of like in the middle there during the bebop time, uh, creating this very melodic sound. So at that time, drummers were just the timekeepers playing rhythm only, and they started to play a little more rather than just something like... they then started to become more rhythmic on other parts of the drum set. So they became involved in the melodic side. When you get to, uh, you know, the time of Bill Evans a lot later, um, musicians just like Marty Morell, who is in the Tampa Bay area and played drums with Bill Evans for a really long time, he almost became a harmonic point of the band playing with different cymbal sounds and playing extremely melodic to uh, interweave melodically with the other instruments. So the role of the drums has progressed, I mean, exponentially just in the last 100, 105 years. That's how old the instrument really is. 120 and, years now. Yeah. And one interesting thing about when you think about it, any, any sort of music that you listen to in the since the 50s and really this started with jazz the rhythm section became the engine of everything you know a lot of stuff is bass and drums and keyboard and guitar oriented that's the foundation of a lot of the music in the last you know 70 plus years and uh, that's a, a really interesting connection to jazz because that's how these instruments developed the their role their their current role you know of yeah. being the foundation and so now that 
kind of going back to the the function of each instrument instrument in the band of course the piano is playing harmony and rhythm i mean we all play we're all except for the drums i mean you could say the drums are playing pitch of course um mm -hmm. just not in a melodically recognized way like uh, the piano or the bass but you know you do have different timbres that you can play around uh with and you know the bass is kind of in the middle locking both of those instruments so yeah, you know, and very we, much we play actually rhythm. set up that way as well. If you see La Lucha perform, if you're in the audience, you see the piano on the left, the drums are on the right, and the bassist is right in the middle. Alejandro's in the middle. And this is a, a really common way, you know, uh, rhythm section trios set up. Even uh, if it's instead of piano, if it's a guitarist, uh, they'll set up in that way. And I think for me, it works because the bassist just kind of like is in between that rhythmic and and harmonic world. Yeah. And so, we can also talk about how each instrument sort of locks up in, in such a way that, you know, the ride cymbal will lock up mainly with the bass player who's playing. We talk that about pulse. that, Pat. who yeah. leads the rhythm section and why and how and why do we play together? All yes. right. So that, that's a great question. Um, who leads the rhythm section, guys? Obviously, I do. <laughs> Obviously, I do. I count off the song. What? No, no. I'm just kidding. No. Well, no, the, the, it's actually funny because it kind of changes. You know, as a yeah. bass player, a lot of the times, you know, in jazz, very often you find yourself playing with people you don't play with often because basically a lot of people will be like, they'll call back, back when there used to be gigs. Um, they, <laughs> they call and say like, hey, would, I need a bass player to play standards, two hours, blah, 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 this place. Cool. You show up, you meet the guy, you know, the piano player and the drummer, maybe a horn player, and then you're off to the races, you know? Okay, satin doll. Uh, hopefully everybody knows it in the same key. Um, but, you know, the, the, that's kind of the way it works. So a lot of it has to do with listening and listening across. A lot of the times as a bass player, I look to the piano player to kind of help me through the, through, not help me, but, you know, dictate what they oh, want. Don't lie. So, um, yeah. Uh, no, a lot of the times, I mean, and help me sometimes, you know, if, if somebody calls a tune I don't know, um, then, you know, a lot of the times the piano player will, will help with the chord changes and, and, and all that. So it really is a lot of it gravitates towards the, towards the pianist, but I think a lot of it, sometimes I look at the drummer, if the drummer knows the arrangement, they're really good at dictating, hey, here are the hits, we're going to play a hit on beat four here. So it kind of changes throughout, which brings me to this very important uh, part, which is, um, I forgot what it was. <laughs> it was so important, I forgot. No, uh, the very important part of, of how we, what does the rhythm, how does the rhythm section view the music as, as supposed, as, as you know, from from us, how does a singer's perspective differ, or you know, a horn player's uh, perspective of the music differ from a rhythm section? Because the rhythm section usually kind of hangs out together. Well, how you know, what do you think, John? How do you think uh, uh, that affects the communication? And totally affected. Uh, the most important part is for all of us, all of us, to have the the big picture of the song together. Uh, so if we call a song Satin Doll, uh, hopefully you've heard it, you've listened. The most important thing you can do as a rhythm section is uh, have listened to the song 
you're playing, especially if it's a standard. And yep. so, you know, we're calling Satin Doll and I go. <laughs> and then hopefully they know where to come in because they've heard that that's the Duke, Duke Ellington intro. Yeah. Well, um, let, me, let me jump in and say something, a real life example that happens to us because we learned on the bandstand. I mean, yes, we went to we went through jazz education in school, and we learned how to do these things. But the best way to learn is on the bandstand with other mm -hmm. musicians. And we've been fortunate to get to play with a ton of musicians, and in different styles, whether it's bebop or modern jazz. And in one situation, we were playing older swing music, and someone called a song. Was it Sweet Lorraine? Maybe. I don't know. It's, it's uh, it maybe was that, or I found a new baby. And these are tunes that are standards in a different circle of musicians in the kind of an early jazz circles. And they're fantastic tunes, but the three of us didn't know it. So we have three options. <laughs> we could say, Hey, you know, we're not familiar with this tune. Uh, maybe we could suggest another one. You can, number two, you can say, oh, you know what? I'll, let me pull up the changes really quick. Yeah. Um, or you could say, no, I, I, I quit. I'm never going to do this again. But re regardless, if uh, you don't know it or you pull up the changes, write it down and learn it. Go on your way home, find the recording, listen to it, listen to a bunch of recordings, and then learn the tune and play them and we would we would do this consistently where we would make a list of songs we didn't know or we just weren't one of us wasn't familiar with it and we would figure out how to play it um and kind of that sort of leads to another question i have to alejandro and john which is is it okay to use the real book or i real pro changes it's the the million dollar question well yes. i think the important thing is not so much that you have changes in front of you because sometimes they're helpful of course uh you know but I, the important thing is that to recognize that those core changes are not always right and to listen across the band to make sure that you're agreeing on what core change so if, I, if i'm playing something for the first time you know somebody calls a tune you know pull out my phone, pull out the changes, you know, because I at least want to be able for the guys to have fun playing it, hopefully. <laughs> and, you know, I noticed that the piano player in a certain section is playing a different chord. So I'll try to to identify that that's the chord. I, I'm not going to bury my, my face in the music and ignore that I'm playing with people. And that's actually the point I was going to bring out earlier about listening across, listening to each other. Um, you know, and the whole real book thing, it's, it's all, you know, there's people that are look at you dirty if you show up at a gig with the real book <laughs> you know and, and it's fine. i completely understand that. i mean it's people there's people that have spent a lot of time studying this music and and to them it that's disrespectful to a certain extent and it, yeah. it's fine you know different people people react to things in different ways generations are different you know and, and that kind of leads me back to sort of the original question you had for john and the purpose that three of us serve is to you know, make the song, we're gonna play the song. It's all about playing the song and making the music feel and sound as good as possible. If we're performing with a singer or a saxophonist or a trumpet player, whatever it is, we're supposed to lift them up and make them feel like they are the best musicians in the world. They probably called us for the gig and so they like what we do. And, uh, but that does not give us free range to go and do whatever we want. 
If I yeah. was listening to mm -hmm. a Coltrane album on the way to the gig, it doesn't mean that I'm allowed to play, you know, super out Coltrane if that's not what the gig is. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. If I'm as a pianist, uh, they're going to be playing all the time. Mark's going to be doing the stang-a-lang, dang, dang, da dang, keeping time. Alejandro will be walking either in four or in two. And then I'm the one that has the, the middle register, the register that people can hear right here. And so the first thing we got to do is make the other musicians feel comfortable. So if we're playing a song and I am just comping everywhere and just not leaving any room for the other person, then... I'm not going to make anybody feel comfortable, including the other two rhythm section players. And mm -hmm. so the first thing, you know, is to listen to each other and to have a... What was that? I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. Hey, guys, speaking of listening, we've got about nine minutes left of the session today. And I just okay. wanted to let you know there was a question posed. If you want to see if you can get to it in these final minutes, the question was, if a soloist, like a horn player, for instance, is slowing down, speeding up, getting louder or more more complex, how do you react as a rhythm section? That's, That's a, a great question. Yeah. I think, I think um, a lot of this has to do, you know, it, it brings us back to the, which is good. I, I wanted to, to address the time situation again, because there is a fine line where you can have somebody pull back. You know, there's there's musicians that famously famously like to pull back into the phrasing and all of that stuff, but there's still there is a way that you navigate those things. You know, there is a there is a lot, fine line between pulling back and dragging. Maybe so, let's the three of us at the same time name one tenor saxophonist that plays behind. See if it's the same person. One, well, I thought we two, were naming names. <laughs> one, two, three. Dexter, Dexter Gordon. Gordon. I'm not naming names. <laughs> Uh, no, but no, but in a good way. In a good yeah, way. no, in a good way. Exactly. Time, it's, it's part of the phrasing. So and and it's part of that sound. So I think the important the important thing for us to react is that a time we heard a, a masterclass recently of a great guitar player who was saying that you know he practiced with a metronome so much to kind of perfect his time that he failed to realize that the time is whatever is happening on the stand with with the other musicians. Because everybody's got, you know, it's I dare anybody find finding somebody has metronomic time, you know, perfect time. Yeah. That really, I mean, there's some fantastic musicians that are incredibly solid, but the the reality is that the way you play together is what makes the music feel good. So, like, if you have a soloist, you know, I think it's good to listen across and be able to help each other. So, if there's somebody that's maybe get lost, got lost in the form, that's a happens very much somebody's soloing gets lost in the form you know like i lo always look at mark and say like what's going to happen so mark immediately he tries to to put the the tries to delineate the form maybe with a crash at the beginning of a downbeat or something like that i've seen musicians that actually do the opposite and they try to maybe they're they're doubting where they are or something like that maybe they they actually start playing more and and making things more difficult to hear you know but i think in in the in, for the sake of playing yeah, together I think it's, it's important to be able to help solo, each other right what's that we try to go with the soloist as well uh sometimes even if the soloist made the mistake if they where they are is clear with the melody and how they're playing the changes yeah. the, the rhythm mm -hmm. section will almost always if they're nice uh they're going to say they're going to look at each other and say try to agree on where the horn player yeah. is. and if they're playing the melody 
then it'll be easy. So as a horn player, if you get lost, start playing the melody of where you think it is and uh, you hire nice guys and they will go with you because yeah. well, we're all well, there for the music and not to to throw each other under the bus or and or and something like, hey, that happens you know that happens very very commonly with singers you know because uh, to, speaking about the wavelength you know a lot of singers you know learn by ear i don't necessarily know a lot of musical terms to communicate with the band to say like here's the bridge or something they may call it something different because a lot of times they 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 view things from uh -huh. a lyrical lyrical perspective so if somebody comes in in the middle of like an, an a section too early or something like that we gotta go with that person yeah, whether yeah. they're right or wrong they're and actually okay. in front yeah we that's we okay sign a contract that said i will stay in the form yeah or else yeah you know yeah <laughs> ruined forever. and so as a rhythm section for example as a pianist being an accompanist if you know the lyrics to the song and you hear that the singer is singing the lyrics to the second a yeah then you're like ah You look at the guys and go, you know, the next section mm -hmm. is not going to be a second day. It's going to be a bridge because they, they started, you know, they skipped yeah. an A or they're singing a different. So being able to communicate with each other what's going on, or maybe the drummer knows the lyrics and yeah. they realize, hey, bridge coming up. And then the point is that we all, you know, communicate and help each other. Yeah. Team uh, effort. We're all in one team playing together. We kind of you if if you have a saxophonist and they tend to be slowing down, in, start to investigate the situation. Why why do you think that they're slowing down? And your neurons are going to be popping. Well, Is it that I, they're a young musician? Is Mark, it that they're doing it on purpose? So I, I wanted to jump in really quick because we I think that's a good way to mention big band playing, playing with a big band, because sure. that that that's actually that happens a lot of times. Horn players are trying to play lines together, complex lines and stuff like that. Everybody has a different challenge, and a lot of the times we found ourselves. I, I remember a lead trumpet player who famously, not famously, but described as the big band being the drummer is the bus driver, and the horn players are all maniacs sticking their hands out and blankets and everything trying to slow the bus down. <laughs> and you know that doesn't always happen but again playing as a band together that, that's again going back to the basic band from the horn perspective that's what's remarkable that those guys were able to yeah. play together breathe as a unit with multiple people so yeah. mark how would you how would you describe you know how would you approach that situation if you're playing yeah. behind a big band we've got about two minutes guys yeah so in a big band you're really i'm you know normally the drummer has said that they're behind the truck driving and Uh, I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna try to keep the time together because I know that written lines or feeling that's not written there is gonna move in a certain way. So I'm really gonna try to lock in with the rhythm section, and I know some things may not always line up with the horns, and that's okay. Um, you know, it might be written in the chart or it might not not be. So you just have to feel out those situations. If you listen to a lot of Count Basie, the drummer approaches it. You know, Sonny Greer will approach that 15 different ways on one different tune. Um, so listen to a lot of the different recordings and hear how they do that. I I'm really going to try to stay close to the time as possible. And you know. listening, uh, listening to the style. Yeah. Everything, every time, if you're trying to play a style of music, you know, I, I can't tell how many times I've found students who want to play jazz or any other style really and I tell them well do you listen to this music who yeah, who, yeah. who do you yeah, listen, listen to and they're like oh no 
well, you're not going to get it. Yeah. You know, that's the advantage that we have as a generation okay. is that we have hundreds of thousands of recordings that we can listen to to see what they did and stand on their shoulders and take it to the next level. Yeah. And guys, we have less than a minute. Just mm -hmm. to recap, uh, some things is to be nice and communicate ideas clearly or try to learn that through, uh, through gigs, asking people how to communicate. Uh, learn musical terms like forms and so that you can communicate. Also, if you want specific chord changes, provide a chart or talk to the musicians ahead of time. Another thing you can do is learn repertoire. As a serious mm -hmm. jazz musician, uh, you should have a basic understanding of basic repertoire that most people will call, even if it's a, a modern gig or a traditional gig. Um, and right. we got less than a good minute. Sound, good feel. Good time. The good time is not the same as good feel, and good feel is not the same as good time. All, all of it is important. Hey, John, we got about 18 seconds, so let me, you know, we're going to dig deeper with Alejandro, Mark, and John in separate sessions with each of them in the upcoming weeks. So if you want to dig into these instruments, stay, stay tuned to our channel. La Lucha, thank you so much for participating. Thank, thank you. you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for coming. All right, see you guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation's Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. This podcast series is presented by our friends at Marine Max Clearwater. To watch the video of this full session, please visit the education and outreach page at clearwaterjazz.com and click on the studio. You can also learn more about the annual Clearwater Jazz Holiday Music Festival tradition and Clearwater Jazz Holiday's year-round education and outreach at clearwaterjazz.com.